Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and we are smack dab in the middle between WrestleMania and WrestleMania Backlash, and we are here to break down everything that happened across Raw and SmackDown on television this week. Making his return to getting over this week is none other than vintage Chris Benini, who after some work and life obstacles is back in his normal chair to talk all things WWE. In fact, Chris is actually going to pull double duty. He will be with us Thursday as well on our AEW and NXT show. A huge week of professional wrestling audio here at Getting Over, and I would not start it any other way than by reminding you that this show is So please, do me a favor. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love this damn podcast. Because this show, as you heard Booker T just say, is indeed all about the five, which means every time we get a new five-star review, we read it right here on the show. Uh, And I'm going to read the latest one, Got Me Back Into Wrestling, Wes from Fort Lauderdale. He writes, bought tickets to a local show and was looking for a primer podcast since I was out of the loop, found the Getting Over podcast by following Chris's work on The Athletic. He and Adam provide excellent insight and in-depth analysis. I'm now an avid listener and fully invested in all things wrestling, much to my wife's chagrin. So apologies to Mrs. Wes from Fort Lauderdale. Uh, But yes, you are the latest getting overhead. Welcome to the jungle, my friend. Chris, welcome back to the show on your part. Uh, Excited to get going here today. Good to be back. Uh, Last week I was traveling. I was down at Florida State, down in Tallahassee. I know that's your favorite place in the world. As a as a as a noted uh, Florida Gators person, but uh, yeah, it, it, glad to be back. I caught AEW uh, in person at the end of last week. We'll talk about that on Thursday. Uh, but yeah, we got Raw and SmackDown here, where I think we're going to disagree on a couple things here, and I'm looking forward to it. I have a feeling we're going to as well. The old um, phrase, the old gimmick uh, from being in Gainesville, Florida, is if you need directions to Tallahassee, jump on I-75, open your windows, and just follow the smell. That's how you get to Tallahassee. Uh, but yeah, glad you had fun in the Sunshine State, at least for a change. That's pretty cool. Also, you had a really cool story on Triple H from your recent conversations with him. So go find Chris on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Click on the link and you can read uh, his conversation with Triple H. I believe you had 30 minutes with him. Talked about uh, NIL, NXT stars going to AEW, his current role in WWE. Lots of cool stuff there. Speaking of Twitter, do not forget to follow this show getting over on Twitter at getting overcast. I did forget that in the intro, Chris, before we get to the main event, before we get to the good, the bad and the ugly, we usually do a little brief overview of the week in WWE. And here's my take. Uh, Smackdown on Friday absolutely shocked me. Okay. I thought it was maybe the best Smackdown of the year, if not the best, one of the top five Smackdowns of the year, which I think you, from those of you listening to the show, know I've been very down on SmackDown. I just haven't enjoyed it at all. Um, But it was consistent through both hours. There was some fresh content, a decent mix of segments and wrestling. Raw on Monday night 
I thought was a bottom three Raw of the year and maybe the worst show of the year. I'd really have to go back and think about other episodes I didn't like. There was 10 minutes of wrestling in the first 90 minutes of TV. Hardly anything on the show was truly redeemable. There were maybe three highlights that I can take from a three-hour show. I just couldn't stand watching it. And I know not everyone's going to agree with that. I think there's a lot of things that you liked that I didn't. Um, But this week did not hit at all for me. And I am excited to kind of explain that to you all over the remainder of the show. I, I think what I'm feeling is that, you know, we talked about going into WrestleMania where if you're unifying the world championship belts and you're mm-hmm. not going to have both of them on both shows, it leaves a massive hole that is continuing as we're not getting Roman Reigns on every show. And now on top of that, you're doing the exact same thing with the tag team championships mm-hmm. and you're, they're, they're not going to, they're, they're not going to be heavily featured on every show. And suddenly you've got shows that are 95% mid card. And that's good to elevate those people. But at some point, you got to bring this all back into the fold. And if this is what it's going to be going forward, where we're not going to see the champion on TV every week, I don't think that's I don't think that's good for television. I don't either. Uh, And in fact, you know what? That was going to be my second main event topic. But I feel like with you bringing that up, let's make it the first main event topic. But in order to get to it, we got to get into the main event by sliding in as we do every week. So yeah, this was, like I said, going to be the second topic. Let's make it the primary. Roman Reigns has disappeared from WWE television. Um, So before we get into the other main event and the rest of the show, I wanted to reflect, Chris, on Reigns booking since he won the, quote, biggest WrestleMania match ever. Let's run through the timeline of the last five WWE television shows, all of which have come since Mania. So first we had the Raw after WrestleMania. Reigns does not appear at all until the main event. When he does show up, there's like six minutes left in the show. He says the next step in his journey, his glorious journey, will be announced, not that night, four days later on SmackDown. Then four days later on SmackDown, Reigns again doesn't show up until the main event, about 10 minutes left. He says his next step is the Usos also unifying the tag team titles. That's Reigns' next step. The Usos, not him. The Usos unifying the tag team titles. Then Shinsuke Nakamura comes out. He pops us a little bit with a potential feud. It actually makes sense too, given Rick Boogs was injured against the Usos. So Nakamura has reason for revenge. He also has reason to challenge for the title. It all kind of works together. Last week on Raw, Reigns does not show up at all. Okay, that can be excused, right? He's a SmackDown superstar after all. Even though he is the, quote, undisputed WWE Universal Champion, he really should be on both shows now. But, okay, you want to give him one week off TV? That's fine. He'll show up Friday on SmackDown. So then we go to Friday on SmackDown. Reigns does not show up at all. Not only that, Nakamura doesn't even show up. There's no promo, no additional build for their potential feud for the title. Nothing. It's not even mentioned on the show. Then, this Monday on Raw, Reigns does not show up again. So now he's missed three straight shows, and if he does appear on SmackDown, it'll basically be two weeks without this guy having been on television. But again, it's not just about him taking shows off. It's about the payoff of the storyline, what we've gotten from Reigns and WWE since he won this monumental 
biggest WrestleMania match ever. It's a sum total of zilch, zero. WWE has given us nothing from this guy. They have completely dropped the ball and wasted whatever momentum Reigns had coming out of Mania. Even if this week he comes back and continues the feud with Nakamura, it's just going to feel like a ho-hum follow-up at this point. It's just incredibly disappointing to me, Chris, given how much interest and publicity WWE had coming out of Mania. How strong WWE built that match. The fact that they decided to give the title to Lesnar, that way they could unify them so they could put Reigns on this pedestal. And the follow-up to it is nothing. I just am dumbfounded by this. Your your point about the momentum is is the big one. I mean, think about it. If you were someone who was a casual wrestling fan or, or getting into it the first time in a while, and you decide to watch Mania, you decide to watch the main event, you see Roman Reigns unify the titles. You go, oh, okay, this guy, this guy's a big deal. Maybe I'll tune in to see what he does next. And he's and you see him the next day, and he says, tune in on Friday. <laughs> and and then you do nothing, absolutely nothing. The, all of the momentum from WrestleMania is gone. I mean, I mean, we we thought the the whole biggest match in WrestleMania history thing was obviously overblown. Of course. But they're not even they're not even leaning into that anymore to say he won the biggest. He's just he's not even there. I don't get it. It's such obviously times are different. But I remember talking on this podcast during the Thunderdome days when Roman Reigns was 60 percent of the show. Mm-hmm. And 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 we we thought it was too much, but we liked it because they were telling a story. And ever since they went back to crowds, he's been on TV less and less, wrestling less and less. And now at the at the absolute height of his career, we're getting nothing. We're not even getting him doing promos talking about how great he is. He he kind of did that a little bit, but it's he's completely gone. And I, I'm assuming the tag team champion the unification will be the main event of backlash at this point i, I mean we'll i don't get, know we'll get, i mean it should be we'll we'll get into that one we'll later. Into so that. maybe so maybe you don't want reigns to be the focus but like you gotta have this guy on tv this guy's your draw literally he has the shirt that says needle mover all of his uh clips on the wwe youtube page are far higher than everybody else's i just don't understand why just from a business perspective even that you don't have him on tv right after his biggest crowning moment yet. You have a three-hour show on Monday. How the Monday after Mania, did they not do like a coronation? Put yeah. a throne in the ring, have every member of his family, maybe with the exception of The Rock, come out and sit there and watch him get adorned with gifts. You know, have people, you know, bend the knee to him. Like, this is the guy. He's literally the guy. He's the big dog now. He's the tribal chief. He's the head of the table. He is the undisputed WWE Universal champion, the only person to ever unify world championships at WrestleMania. He beat Brock Lesnar, his crowning achievement of his entire career. And you get, I'll tell you, Friday. And then on Friday, I want my cousins to unify the titles also. Oh, and by the way, Shinsuke Nakamura is going to fight me. And now you're not going to see me for 12 to 14 days. Like, it's it's mind-numbing. I don't mind the guy getting time off, right? He was doing the media circuit and he was wrestling. He was doing all the house shows. Um... You know, he was busy, right? And he and he came out of having that entire pandemic, not the whole time, but a long period of time with his family. He had newborn ch- you know, children um, and he probably wanted a little time with them. So I'm happy for Reigns to go home. But 
you know, two episodes, okay. We're now at three. This is the only world champion that you have. The guy hasn't been on TV. We criticize AEW if Hangman Page isn't there for one week, right? Yep. This has been now two weeks now we haven't had Reigns. And what's just, again, mind-numbing about it is nothing else is happening. There's no number one contenderships, you know, with Reigns sitting at home maybe on camera watching them do it. Uh, Nakamura isn't showing up to build his credibility uh, and ha- having a match last week to kind of state, hey, not only am I the number one contender now, but I'm going to go ahead and beat X person or Y person and prove that I deserve that opportunity. They just dropped it. They're like, oh, no, Reigns isn't going to be on TV. We don't need to talk about Roman Reigns. Like, forget it. The only time we'll mention him is maybe when the Usos are on screen as the bloodline because Reigns wants them to unify the titles. It is just mind numbing, and it's so glaring for me on Raw right now how badly they need a main event title picture. We were talking about this on the lead up to Mania, but at least in the lead up to Mania, Brock Lesnar was showing up or Bobby Lashley was champion. Um, And they were telling the Mania story on both shows. Now, Raw feels just like an aimless main event picture. There's two major feuds right now, Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins, Edge and AJ Styles, and neither of them feel like they're about anything. Because guess what? We've already seen the matches. They're two rematch feuds going into a rematch pay-per-view, and there's no world title in sight. Neither of them are for a number one contendership. Neither of them, the only person out of the four of them is really Cody, I would say, who's talking about wanting to be WWE champion. I will say that Edge has mentioned it. He's like, hey, you know, I should be in that picture and I'm not, you know, he mentioned that this Monday. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the, the, the main champion right now on Raw, spoiler alert, because we're going to get to it a little bit later, is Theory, who I don't even, what is he, 22, 24 years old? And, you know, met with a ho-hum, you know, celebration at the end of winning the title. So there's no champion on the show. There's no main event picture. Your champion isn't on television. And the number one contender is, and the number one contender isn't even on television. I I don't understand. And your tag team champions, and your tag team champions aren't always fully there either because they were doing SmackDown last week. We'll, We'll add one thing. We'll say, look, it's possible there's something going on with Reigns. We don't know. There hasn't been I mean, anything maybe. reported from what I've seen. Obviously, always possible. But assuming, and it sounded like he, Reigns was not actually hurt from that match. I know people thought about it at the time, but it seems he's to fine. be pretty worked and he's fine. So, uh, assuming there's nothing going on, yes, I just, it, it's, it, it makes no sense from a business perspective why you would completely derail the momentum you had coming out of, of mania and raw is really, I think sinking because of it. You've got Cody saying he wants the title, but he's not talking about Roman Reigns by name or anything. He's just kind of alluding to it. So everything just kind of feels like it's an, it's in a holding pattern until we get Reigns back. And not even that, we know that Cody's not going after the title right now because Rollins is in his way. Right. We know edge and AJ styles and Rollins as well are not going after the title because there's other people in their way. So there's just no, there's no mountaintop right now to reach on Raw. And on SmackDown, they're, they're so thin from a roster perspective that there's not even challengers. Like, yes, Drew McIntyre is the obvious big-time challenger. Whether they do it at SummerSlam, they do it at the show in the United Kingdom, which I have to assume is what they're going to do. He's there, right? But they've been holding him off and away from Reigns for so long that, you know, he doesn't feel like he's a challenger. Sami Zayn actually was a challenger. He got beaten, what, 30 seconds? Um, and now he's feuding with Drew McIntyre. So it's like, where's Roman Reigns? Where is your champion? Where is this guy that you spent, you've spent six years trying to get over 
trying to put him on this massive pedestal. You finally get him there. Everyone's bought in. Your first two appearances with him are dog shit. And then you keep him off TV for 12 days. It's, oh my God. It, it's, it's as frustrated as I've been with WWE. And that's saying a lot because there's a lot on this show that I'm very frustrated about. Chris, let's yep. move on. We'll let's move in. over. Let's move over to the second part of the main event here. Um, and honestly, this isn't even really a main event topic, but it was the only thing I could pick out of both shows that I thought really fit, even though we could have gone with the tag team stuff. I'm going to go with Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins again because it's the main storyline on Raw, right? So Rollins opened the show. He immediately invited Cody to the ring. Rollins said he was going to talk about respect for Cody's hard work, his brother and his dad. But the truth was Rollins made him a star at WrestleMania and he only lost because he was at a disadvantage. He got surprised. He didn't know his opponent. He said he was better than Cody as a talker, a wrestler, and even a dresser. And also as someone who has won world championships in WWE. Cody pulled the crowd, which agreed he was better than Rollins. So Seth challenged Cody to put the shoe on the other foot and let Rollins choose a surprise opponent for him in the main event. Cody obviously said yes. Nothing was wrong with this, but it felt very repetitive from last week. The crowd response was strong. It was a really good way to open the show. And the final touch of the surprise opponent ended this on a positive note. And it also created reason to stay tuned. It created suspense, right? You want to see who the opponent's going to be and you want to ultimately see the match at the end of the show. But the first like seven eighths of that promo felt like the exact same promo from last week. Yeah. It, Cody even says to Seth or Seth says to Cody, I remember who it was. Cody said it. Get, like, didn't we just do get, this? Yeah. Yeah. Get well, also says get to the point. <laughs> they they took forever to finally understand what we're talking about yeah. here because there's so much recap. There's so much recapping what they said last week, and it it took a while. But I, I will say, Cody and Seth are, I think, two of the best in the company at delivering promos like this because they walk around the ring, they acknowledge the crowd. There, there, there's a lot of movement in working up the crowd into what they're doing. They're not standing and staring at the hard cam and delivering their cameras, uh, delivering their, their promo. So it got to the point eventually and it was fine, but it did take a while. And I got to say, it's only been a couple of weeks, but Cody, I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if the crowd's going to turn on him the same way AEW did at some point, because Everything is so extravagant all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Every time he makes his entrance, he gets the full on thing. Smoking but, like triple pyro. It's crazy. Yes. But but he is he is leaning to, hey, I love Buffalo, you know, these types of things. And the crowd is more respond responsive to him in that way than the AW crowds were, I think. So we'll we'll see. But uh they really are going all in on him. And I don't know. I, I think you need to tone it down and be a little little humble. Uh, if you want to keep the crowd on your side, it's just crazy how much it is. Like it's, it's, it's <laughs> yes. a lot, right? Um, you get the smoke, you get the, the initial blast of pyro. Then he steps up on the ramp and he gets pyro. Then he goes into the ring and he gets pyro. I mean, no one else gets that. Roman Reigns doesn't get that. No, nah. it, it's, it's just wild what he's getting a good note on Buffalo, the battleground match shield versus Rhodes family. Um, happened at Battleground 2013, yes. I want to say. 13 or thir I think it was 13. I watched a couple weeks ago. Really, so really good match. It was a good callback, and it was actually one of multiple callbacks, continuity-style callbacks, that WWE made during Raw on Monday night. I'm going to criticize Raw heavily, as you can tell, throughout the rest of this episode, 
But the one thing that they got right, there was a lot of continuity on the show. And I really did appreciate that. And that's a really good example of it. Uh, So we got Cody Rhodes versus the opponent of Rollins' choice in the main event. Rollins introduced Kevin Owens, which was the most obvious potential opponent. Um, I did think that maybe there's a chance they pulled something out of their ass. Like it was Tommaso Ciampa or it was Roderick Strong, who wouldn't pop the crowd, but Cody had a list that he tweeted when he first got, uh, when he left WWE of all the opponents he wanted to fight on the independents. And one of them was Roderick Strong. So it was like the last name on the list. They would have had to tell the story in order to get there. But again, my point was, I thought it might be a surprise. Instead, it was the exact person I expected. Uh, Cody stopped a senton bomb with double knees. They went over the commentary table when Rollins' music hit before commercial. I thought he was already out there. I I didn't understand why his music hit. Uh, Owens eventually hit the senton bomb and caught Cody in a modified pop-up powerbomb for 2.5. KO also got a near fall after an avalanche fisherman-style neckbreaker. Cody countered KO outside and Rollins screamed at him to get his fat ass in the ring. Owens basically told Rollins to piss off and took a countout loss, just walked to the back. Rollins then ran into the ring and pushed Cody off the top rope while he was celebrating. He fell outside into the barricade and sold an injured knee as Raw went off the air. The finish just topped off a shitty Raw. In fact, you could argue it was the perfect ending to the show from a tonal perspective. As if we had not gotten enough schmas finishes with Sami Zayn's countdowns on SmackDown, entrance music interruptions, some of the other sh- shit that we got on Raw, WWE asked its fans to sit through a three-hour, in my opinion, on Monday, pile of garbage, only to get an obvious challenger and a non-finish to the match. This Buffalo crowd, by the way, sucked. So it's not like it, it deserved better, but the viewing audience at home did. I gave it 3.5 stars B just because the match was really good, but there's hardly anything to be proud about here. My guess is the Cody knee injury is going to be used to create a reason for Rollins to win the second match and create a rubber match at Hell in a Cell. Otherwise, I'm not sure what the point of the segment was. I'm not sure what the point of the knee injury at the end was. And they were cutting it so close that we barely even got to see that he did injure his knee. We saw it for maybe four seconds before Raw went off the air. So everything about this just did not work for me. Yeah, he throws him off the top. And then you see the the credit thing. I'm like, oh, we're just we just threw him into the abyss, and and that that's the end of it. Oh no, we see him real quick, and then it's gone. And it, it was it was one of those like Thunderdome era things where you, where you throw someone off the stage, but it was pre-taped, and there was a crash pad out there. I, so I didn't know what happened. Right. And then okay, I, I guess Cody's hurt. I I don't know. It was match was good, finish sucked. It was very classic. WWE Schmaz finish when you don't want to do anything. I, I don't think it helped anything. I don't, there's, I don't think there's any real heat on Seth for doing it that way. It just really kind of sucked. It, it, outside of actually getting to see Cody and Kevin Owens work together, which was fun. Um, so, yeah, it just, again, kind of feels aimless. I, I, I appreciated the story of Seth being like, hey, I didn't know who it was. You know, I, Cody had the advantage. Now I'm going to do the same thing to him. That was a perfectly understandable and fair totally story way to do it. But then for it to be Kevin Owens like that and to not give you a finish is kind of like uh, annoying. Like you didn't wrap up the the day's story. You could have wrapped it up by Cody beating whoever he what? picked it, it, or something like that. Like An- answer was, this was, for me. Yeah. Answer this for me. Why couldn't they have done this? Okay. Very similar, right? 
they're, they're counting. The referee's counting. He gets to seven to eight. Rollins yells at KO, get your fat ass in there while he's maybe on the ring apron. Co- uh, Owens turns around, goes, you know, mind your business or piss off or, or you're an asshole or whatever he says. Turns back around, eats a kick from Cody, eats crossroads, gets pinned one, two, three. So it's Rollins directly leads to a distraction finish, but Cody actually gets the pin. We get a clean yeah. end to the match. Cody celebrates and then Rollins pushes him off the top rope. It's the same yeah. thing, but you actually pay off the match and give your viewers exactly. a moment and let them cheer Cody. Exactly. There was no payoff to really the story they told in the show, which I thought was fine. So yeah, just, you know, an annoying finish. It just an annoying finish to, again, what to me was an annoying show. So in that way, it was really appropriate. And the other thing I'll say is, look, WWE, they do a lot of schmas finishes and they do a lot of things like this. But to me, this felt like something they had not done in a long time, at least in a match that I cared about, where I was like, oh, man, that was really a letdown. Usually, even if you get a distraction finish or something else, you're like, oh, well, at least they gave us a pinfall or at least they gave us a submission. Here, it was just like, I just couldn't believe it. I, or maybe it was that I was so angry at the entire episode. That was just the cherry on top of the shit Sunday. You, you also don't have a heel finish. You also don't often have a heel close out raw on top unless it's Roman. So that, that was different too. But he hardly closed it out on top because we didn't get to see it because of the timing. Right, but it ended with the crowd booing. As it did, but, but like if Cody was there grabbing his knee and we got like 30 seconds of Rollins yeah. hanging over the rope cackling at him. And the commentary was saying, what, what does this mean for Cody's matchup? Is he going to be able to compete at Backlash? Exactly. Like you got you got to sell that. You got to sell that story forward. So every part of it, you know, even if it was executed properly, we didn't have the time to do it properly. And that just was yeah. really unfortunate. So, all right, uh, let's move out of the main event, Chris, and slide into our second and final segment of the show. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So for any new or semi-new listeners, uh, just so you know, good, bad, and ugly, we talk about everything else that happened on SmackDown and Raw, and guess what we do? We grade it either good, bad, or ugly. Yes, that does box us into corners, but we do our best. So let's move on. RK Bro opened SmackDown to a huge reaction. Randy Orton said they were there in response to the Usos invading Raw and attacking them. The Usos wanted an answer and put themselves over. Orton went on an awesome rant about how he was a legend, saying he loved their whole family, but they were assholes. It got bleeped. He also accepted the challenge. The Usos got a cheap shot on Riddle at the end. It closed a bit weak, but it was a hot show starting segment for SmackDown that set up the main event match. Adam Pearce told the faces that they would have a decision later and offered Riddle a match with Jimmy Uso. The only problem I had in this thing was I don't want the titles to get unified, but let's move, let's move on to the match that we got, which was Riddle versus Jimmy Uso. Riddle got super kicked over the barricade. Jimmy got knees up on a floating bro and hit a pop-up Samoa and drop for a near fall. Jay and Orton got into it at ringside, distracting the referee. Jay pulled Riddle off the ropes and got backdropped onto the announce table. Jimmy hit Riddle with a super kick and got distracted by what was happening outside. Riddle countered a second pop-up Samoan drop attempt into a falling RKO for the 1-2-3. Orton was so excited at the finish to the match, (laughs) he jumped into the ring before the referee could count 1-2-3. Riddle beating Jimmy, that was the right booking. The match was super fun. 3.5 stars and a B. Both the opening segment and the main event were really good with this match getting set for Backlash. Again, I don't want the titles unified, but the booking of the feud, the unification challenge, and even this match, it's all worked to this point. 
And Chris, this match, the title unification, you said it earlier, it really should main event WrestleMania Backlash. And I, I'm thinking it will just because there's no direction for Roman and there's nothing really else going on that's main event other than maybe Cody Seth. Um, so Edge, it's, it's like another... And, I'm saying, but those are worthy main events is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, this is just like the Roman Brock stuff generally where it's like, we like the Roman Brock stuff, but we don't like the unification that's going to come at the end of it. So, so yes, I, I, I don't like where this is potentially going to go, but I like it for what it is right now. And this was really fun on SmackDown and we got a clean finish. It was a cool finish, a, a way they did it. Randy jumping into the ring and the referee having to like stop to tell him to get out of the ring before realizing he needs to actually do the count was hilarious. And, and Rand, Randy just continues to pop for this riddle stuff, real or not. Uh, there was something with one of his entrances too. It, it's he's having the time of his life, and everybody can feel that. Like like the crowd can really feel that Randy Orton is having fun, and they're having fun with him because of that. So this was this was great. This was fun. Uh, absolutely loved it. By the way, today is the one year anniversary of Riddle pitching to Orton to team up and become RK Bro. And I know it's not 420, but it's pretty funny that it's pretty close to 420. Um, <laughs> but they've been together basically for a year. And it doesn't feel like it. It feels like it time has not. completely flown. And that's a sign of a good tag team. I mean, look, yep. look, look up, look up. You don't need to, but the New Day have been together for like eight years yeah. or something like that. It's crazy. And it does, and it still feels fresh. It's not boring. That's a sign of a good team. Yep. That's a sign of why I don't want this to end anytime soon either. For sure. So let's move over to Raw. We had RK Bro against the Street Profits in a non-title match. Riddle hit an assisted floating bro, uh, then took Montez Ford off the top rope with a belly-to-belly Spanish fly, which was wild. What a great move. RK Bro hit stereo-draping DDTs, and Riddle was set up for the RKO. When the Usos' music hit as a distraction, the Profits immediately caught Riddle with the assisted avalanche blockbuster for the win in eight minutes. Ford insinuated that maybe the music being cued was not an accident and said RK Bro had to be worried about more than the Usos. I thought it was a really big eye roll finish to what was otherwise a great match. Typical WWE trope using entrance music to distract babyface champions. So these guys have taken an unnecessary loss before a title unification match at a pay-per-view. I presume that we're going to get a title match with the Profits on Raw next week, even though I don't believe that was announced or the Profits getting added to the title unification match, which wouldn't make any sense because they don't have a title. So this match was good, but the booking was frustrating as hell. It was frustrating, but I did enjoy the match, and I did appreciate that that, that Montez explained, hey, basically, we were the ones who had the music queued up. I mean, I mean, because you don't normally get that sometimes it's, it's they just literally do <laughs> someone just walks out yeah so yeah. it was it was a little different so i appreciate that but it also opens up the kayfabe question of who in the sound truck is working with street profits to play this music i know we don't really ever get into to that in the stories but it's it's out there i'm glad the avalanche blockbuster won the match that is an incredible move mm-hmm. and it doesn't typically win matches for them so i'm glad it did because it should because it's a crazy move. Uh, so so that's a positive. And the Street Profits seem like they're basically heels now. They've been like in that 
tweener role for a few weeks now, definitely leading years. into yeah. leading into WrestleMania. I, I'm ready for them to just go all in on it. And and maybe that maybe it's them versus RK Bro after the unification. But again, after the unification, I don't know what the hell the tag team division is going to look like or even mean. So we'll see. Uh, Montez looks like he's growing out the beard a bit again, and he looks like he's a bit bigger. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a lot of potential in them as heels. So we'll we'll see if it happens. Um, you know, you could have done you could have also done this another way where. The, the Street Profits are going to win. The Usos interfere because they don't want the Street Profits to get involved in this match. Then you do Street Profits again. I, I, I don't know. I don't think they're going to get added to this unification match, but I am. I really don't know what they're going to kind of be doing. They're just kind of hanging out right now. By the way, there is a scenario like for Reigns and Lesnar, they had to unify the titles. They could not build that match as the main event of WrestleMania and not pay it off. But they don't have to unify the tag team titles just because they're promoting it. And that's what the match is going to be booked as. They do not actually have to go through with it. They can do a disqualification. They can do a count out. They can have someone do a run in like the Street Profits, perhaps, and, and create a situation where uh, the titles don't get unified. And Reigns can be angry with the Usos. Like th- this does not have to result in the titles being unified and the Usos being the champions. So I'm at least holding out hope that might happen because, you know, even though I don't want to finish like that. It's better than the titles being unified. If I was given the two options and I had to pick, well, which is the best case scenario and which is the worst case scenario, I'd rather a schmoz bullshit finish and them not paying off the stipulation than actually put, you know playing off the stipulation. So there is some potential there. My assumption was that they had the profits get the win. That way they could get a title match and book something entertaining on Raw next week, except they didn't book the match for next week. They still have a week to do it. They could announce it at any time on social media. TBD on that. We had Naomi against Rhea Ripley in a singles match on SmackDown. Boston Glow were pumping themselves up when the challengers stepped up and had some words for them. Liv Morgan was hanging all over Rhea Ripley during the entrance. Naomi hit a bulldog into the turnbuckles and a flying crossbody for a near fall. Ripley had a really cool basement roundhouse kick and got planted with a knee DDT. Ripley had a great Northern Light suplex for a near fall. Naomi escaped an avalanche riptide but ate a missile dropkick for another near fall. She caught Ripley with a disaster kick and full Nelson slam for a 2.5 on a pinning combination. Ripley finally fought through some elbows to catch Naomi with Riptide for the clean win in almost nine minutes. The booking here was right. I freaking loved this match. Four stars, A minus, obviously good. I thought it was the WWE match of the week. Yeah, I realized I didn't grade the last thing we did. I I, I give the tag team thing a a, a, a good as well. This is definitely a good. The match was great. The, the right people won. Um, you kind of explained it all there and we'll get to the finish now. Yeah. Well, what do you mean the finish? The the the, the turn. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, that was SmackDown. <laughs> yeah. So now we move to Raw, but to punctuate... Oh, I'm sorry. I was mixing these up. I was mixing these up. My bad, my bad. This was... This was they're doing it... Everything happening on two shows is mixing me up on what, what is happening on, on, on what show. <laughs> so there's all, when, when all your champions are on two shows and they do the same matches, it's a little weird. Well, they had the single match. On it, was, it wasn't the same this match. It was a match we hadn't had before. It was a, right. I, I, we'd never seen Naomi yes. and Rhea Ripley before. Yes, this was great. Naomi continues to do an incredible job in this highlighted role. She is absolutely killing it. And she's not getting as much attention, basically as much as anybody in this whole thing. But she is on a roll right now. By the way, speaking of distraction finishes, I think Chris had a little distraction finish right I think there. I did too. To go back to Naomi and Rhea Ripley, though, 
That was a good one, yeah. And now we move on to Raw, the Women's Tag Team Championship, Boston Glow against Live for Brutality. I'm going to use the tag team names, WWE, even if you are not. Uh, Liv hit her slingshot move on Naomi into the post, and Rhea hit Sasha Banks with Riptide onto the top of the barricade in a really cool spot. They later botched a team spot. Ripley tagged herself in blind, helping Liv hit Naomi with a powerbomb before adding Riptide. During the fall, Liv ate a backstabber from Sasha, and she was supposed to get flung into them to break the fall, but she like fell to the side for some reason. So Sasha saved the day barely uh, to avoid another botch. Ripley immediately ate a disaster kick from Naomi, and they combined for the assisted rolling codebreaker atomic drop to pin Ripley and retain the titles in seven minutes. Liv went to comfort Rhea after the bell when they argued. Liv grabbed her to stop her from walking away, and Ripley was incensed that Morgan was not there to help her at the end of the match when she needed her the most. Liv turned to leave, and Rhea predictably attacked her from behind in a heel turn. Ripley refused to give an explanation backstage when she was asked after the match. Look, straight off the top, before I get to any criticisms, this was good, right? It it was predictable. Mm-hmm. We got a strong match, and we got the split payoff that we were expecting. The problems were the match was unnecessarily short. It should have gone at least 15 minutes, especially given nothing else happened in the ring on the first 90 minutes of Raw. There were multiple uncharacteristic botches from Liv that took away from the story of the finish, but I did like the pacing and the overall booking. Nothing is wrong with it. I'm not going to go ahead and say it was bad just because it was a little botched, but it could have been executed much better. Yeah, I, I liked the match. I thought it was good. It, there was a couple of botches. I still liked it overall. I would have liked more of it, basically, like, like you said. So um, up to that point, uh, yeah, it was fine. And they they built it up over the previous weeks. Like, like it made sense. You know, the singles wins it happened, and then you lose your tag team match. It, I thought it was good, you know, up to that point. I think this whole thing would have been a lot tighter had Rhea Ripley not been off TV for the better part of a right. week. And I assume it was COVID-related. I, I actually think that helped because at the time they got the title match after losing the champions contender match, which was insane. Yeah, but nothing happened since then that made it no, more they, like, they, you know. yeah, they won singles matches that they won some singles. Sure. Matches but okay. Sasha sure. And Naomi. Sure. But in the lead up to this match on Monday night, when Byron Saxon was explaining the storyline, he just explained that Rhea went to the authority and basically yes, said, that's the problem. So, so yeah. they ignored all of that stuff. Yes, they fixed the story and then didn't tell that. And then didn't tell it. So it didn't matter at the end of the day. So again, just extremely frustrating on my part. So the question now is whether WWE goes ahead and aligns Ripley with Edge and Damian Priest. There was a purple light behind her during her backstage promo that may kind of allude to that. One would certainly expect it to be the case. And it's probably the right move. But I had been getting soured on the Edge and Priest group, which let's just talk about that right now, and we'll talk about this all together. So we had Edge and Priest together backstage with a purple light and some theatrics. Edge was sitting on a throne. He said last week's strange finish to the AJ Styles match was all mind games. Edge said this has all been formulating since the Brood and the Ministry of Darkness back in the day. He said they haven't lived up to their true potential, with an example being Priest being the one who basically held up Bad Bunny at last year's WrestleMania, made that match happen, allowed him to be competitive, but he didn't even get a match on this year's WrestleMania, and Edge had to beg for an opponent himself, even though he's one of the greatest of all time. Edge said all it took was two years for WWE fans to start complaining about him. Edge then challenged Styles again at Backlash. 
to hammer the point home, put the nail in the coffin, and give Styles his judgment day. Styles later accepted the match in the locker room when the lights flickered, then turned off, and then turned purple. He, uh, the Edge and Priest, I should say, appeared, attacked. They slammed Styles' arm into a locker. The explanation for last week that we got, I didn't think it was good enough. But the rest of the promo, it really helped turn around the storyline. Juxtaposing Priest's last two WrestleManias, bringing in some of the fan discontent about Priest and Edge, those were really nice touches of reality. The attack that followed, I thought, sucked with Styles. So I'm going to lean good because out of all of this, there was more good than there was bad. But we're three weeks into this now. And when you have Edge and Damian Priest and possibly now Rhea Ripley, these are three people that should be hitting Grand Slam home runs every week. And for some reason, this whole thing is just falling flat. It needs to be bigger. And and this pro, I'm giving this a good. The the promo was good. This is what they should have cut the first time. Like like exactly. from the beginning, this yep. was the story. This was the story we all knew, and they were just instead just trying to give us these weird whimsical sentences to like say spooky things instead of just saying the things that are happening. Like that's the best way to make things work is to just acknowledge what is happening around us so we could see it instead of trying to 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 be all fancy with it or whatever. It. If you're going to put Edge and Damian Priest and Rhea Ripley together, they need to run roughshod over the entire Raw roster. You need them just everywhere, wrecking everybody, Ministry of Darkness style. They can't just be their own little thing, and they're just teasing AJ Styles. Nobody cares. If they're going to be this big and powerful thing, which is what they should be considering who's in it, they need to be huge. They need to be strong. They need to be everywhere. Not just, I'm going to run away from a... AJ Styles match because of spooky mind games. And then we're going to spooky light and beat you up in the locker room. Like they need to be dominant and they can still get there. This is just starting, but if it's going to help these people, which it's supposed to, you need to elevate them by doing something like that and not just having them be spooky. You're exactly right. It is very baseline spooky. And that is not good enough in 2022. Like uh, when those lights flickered in the locker room, I couldn't tell if someone was hitting a light switch or if there was just a strobe <laughs> light. That was it was yeah. it was such base. Like it was like if they told me, hey, Adam, um, WWE's in town and their lighting guy and all their technical people are on strike. We need you to figure out how to make this thing work. It would be like me going to a party store and figuring out a way to make that work. It was so low rent. What happened in that locker room? It was so bad. And yeah. for a company that has done such incredible things with The Fiend, right? Just look, just look at The Fiend yep. and some of the stuff they were able to accomplish before and post-pandemic. So not within the Thunderdome, right? Um, so much of that was successful. And they can't figure out how to like make the lights look cool and, and do an attack on AJ Styles where he gets surprised. Everything about it was just kind of ho-hum and disappointing. But the promo was really good. It was the best thing that we've gotten from these guys in the three weeks this thing has existed. So it's a provisional good. Like, I, I really believe there is something here. They can make it work. But I want to see them beat the shit out of people. Yeah. They should Anybody. be killing people. Not just AJ Styles. While AJ's out or waiting, you know, while they're waiting for him to give them an answer or whatever the case might be, they should be kicking the ass of a ton of other people backstage, in the loading dock, you know, in the ring, in scheduled matches, mm -hmm. 
Every, everybody's scared. Everybody's scared that something might happen to them, even if they're yes. not relevant to the story. Yes. You don't even have to pay it off. You just have to acknowledge that, hey, this thing is going on behind us. We need to like remember that. Have the lights flicker on. during different segments. Like you remember during here, the fiend, the, the here, doll. Here, here's the thing. Here's the, what I'm going to say. It could be, but it needs to be much better. Kind of like the things that I like that they did with retribution. There were times Retribution would attack anybody without warning. They would destroy the backstage. They'd destroy the ring. It didn't work in the end, but those types of things where everybody, they're just, it's always in the back of your mind. That's what you got to do with them. Shield, Nexus. Like there's a lot of groups where that was the case and, and that should be with them too. They, if they're talking about judgment day and justice, then they should be doing that. I mean, they don't need to be the shield. They don't need to be the hounds of justice, but they should be getting themselves involved in multiple angles. These are big names on the show and to relegate them to a two to three minute backstage segment on a three hour show is just mind numbing to me. It doesn't make a shred of sense. They can fit plenty of time to to do it. You just, you got to do it. You got to really do it with them for sure. All right. Lots more to get to. Let's keep going. Uh, Sonya Deville got decent heat as she cut a promo explaining that she was forced into an authority role as she found her way back to becoming a superstar. She credited Bianca Belair for being the BEST, saying Belair wanted competition and she wants to beat the best. Sonya did the whole WWE official wearing a suit deal, so Bianca challenged her immediately. But Deville said instead she wants to beat her next week in her hometown of Knoxville so her friends and family could see her lose the title quickly for a second time. Backstage, DeVille wanted Adam Pierce to punish Belair. Pierce said she's being fined, but DeVille better be careful because she's currently under review by the authorities given all of her actions recently. Belair stepped up and paid the $1 fine, which obviously pissed Sonya off. It sure seemed like this was going to be the backlash match, and I guess we could get a schmoz next week, and that ends up being the case. This was okay overall, nothing particularly engaging in the ring. However, the backstage segment with the $1 fine, I thought that was hysterical, far better. And I like that they're not ignoring the fact that Sonya is in an authority role and she's, yes. you know, she's taking advantage of that. And hopefully there are repercussions. She gets stripped of it. This is stuff we've talked, we've talked about for a while. So I did think this was good, but it did not start good. It got good at the end. Yeah, it, it makes sense that the higher ups are reviewing the conduct of Sony considering everything she did to Naomi and, and and now this, and now that she's doing it to a champion, they would be more upset possibly. So it makes sense, but is it going to be the end of Sonya in an authority role? Is she going to go back to being a wrestler? Is there going to be a payoff to this or is it going to kind of be just something to do for a little bit? It The, the dynamic between Sonya and Adam Pierce, I think has been so good for a long time. Like sometimes they're on the same page. Sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. It's a really, and that's okay. That's how people it's are. Reality. Like it's a really, yeah. it's a really yeah. interesting and complicated relationship. And you saw that play out there. So it was, it look, it was an inconsequential segment. Not a ton really happened, but it was funny. It was, it was one of those low range goods where, you know, it was, it was fine. It was, it was, it was good. And yeah, I guess we'll see. Next week, I, I think I'm with you where I'm kind of expecting a schmoz. For sure. Uh, Happy Corbin said Madcap Moss wasn't an associate, but a lackey and an anchor around his neck. Corbin said he was happier than ever and couldn't wait for Moss to become the laughing stock of SmackDown. Moss was interviewed by Drew Gulak, who was auditioning to be on the broadcast team. Moss said his joke sucked because he knew Corbin was his audience. He then cut a pretty decent promo and showed his ass during the Los Lotharios kiss cam. So we got Moss versus Umberto Carrillo. 
Moss was explosive here. He got some of the crowd behind him, to my surprise. He went to spear Umberto, but instead caught Angel between the turnbuckles. Then he speared Umberto and hit the punchline neckbreaker for the win. After the bell, Angel screamed at Umberto for losing to a joke. So here's the thing. Moss is really kind of showing something here. Like the guy's got talent and we've known that he has talent. But if you're pulling him away from Corbin, you got to change the first name and the gimmick. Right. Get rid of the comedy aspects and refresh this guy. And if you do, WWE may actually have an up and coming mid Carter here. I'm going to say good because all of this was a step in the right direction. He was a little bit more serious. He gave an explanation for his shitty character before. He looked great in the match. And obviously we're going to get Moss versus Corbin as a feud. But you got to fully extract him from the anchor and the weight. Talk about an anchor. The the albatross that is Happy Corbin. You got to fully extract Madcap Moss from it. And you got to change his name. Bring it back to Riddick Moss. It's a really good name. Just refresh this guy. But I will say it was good. Yeah, no, it, it was good. And crowd was really into him. But like the crowd is behind him right now. So I I understand maybe not wanting to change too much because this is the character they fell in love with. It, it's kind of the it's kind of the Miz paradox where anybody who's like paired up with him gets a lot of love because they're opposite the Miz. But then the second they're kind of on their own and break away, they kind of people just lose interest in them. Mizdow, Morrison, kind of a lot of these things. It happens a lot. And you obviously want to make sure it doesn't happen to Moss. So we'll see. It's a provisional good. This guy's been in the company for a long time. He has a lot of talent. I I think he's pretty good on the mic. He's pretty good in the ring. Looks great. Got a lot of energy. Crowd is kind of behind him. They've just never really found the long-term gimmick that fits. And, you know, Madcap Moss, nobody remembers or knows what Madcap means, but they kind of associate it with him now. So, so. We'll we'll see. It's a provisional good. I, I hope they figure it out with him. And, and right now the crowd is is behind them. They are. Uh, and Moss, by the way, for those who don't know, very unlucky, uh, injured two different times in NXT, both during pushes, once in a tag team, once as a single, uh, got brought up to the main roster. They, they put him in the 24-7 title thing. Then COVID hit. I believe one of his family members is immunocompromised, so he didn't want to go to work. So he had to give up the 24-7 title. So every single time, the first three times they tried to do something with him, fate intervened or something else intervened. Uh, and now he's finally getting an opportunity and he got brought up as Madcap Moss. So I just, I'm rooting for the guy, former college football player, really want him to take this opportunity by the horns, but it, he's going to get dragged down by the name Madcap, the suspenders, the look, the guy, you can put this guy in a suit. You can do a million different things with him. They got to just extract him somehow from this gimmick. Uh, Charlotte Flair was livid that Ronda Rousey got her I quit match. Gulak interrupted, asking Pierce how he performed as an interviewer earlier in the segment, as I mentioned. Flair shut him down and said if he really wanted to show something, to interview her in the ring. He was really good, actually. Flair said she was angry at first, but liked the idea of an I quit match because it could embarrass Rousey. Gulak pointed out that she tapped out at WrestleMania, so Charlotte screamed that she was fixing her bra. Fans loudly chanted, you tapped out. So Flair did the reverse what to them. Then she called Gulak a quitter for becoming an interviewer and said she's a submission master. She demanded he leave the ring. And as he walked out, she cut down his knee when he walked away before putting him in the figure eight and making Gulak tap out, not just that, verbally say, I quit. This was easily, easily 
the best segment involving Charlotte in how long, Chris? Months? Like a year? Gulak played his part perfectly. Charlotte had someone to combat on the mic with ability and personality, and he helped her look like an absolute star. Forget good. This was great. I truly enjoyed it. Look, I don't care about the Charlotte Ronda stuff at all. Neither of us do. But this was a great segment. And the point you made there about having someone to go back and forth with on the mic is so important. Charlotte is great on the mic, but almost all of her promos are just her staring at the hard cam, you know, in part because Ronda can't Ronda can't handle Charlotte in, in, in a spot like that. So to have Gulak there as someone who could kind of work with her, this is exactly what I said earlier about Cody and Seth not just doing a promo toward a camera, like involving the crowd. Charlotte turning toward the crowd and giving them the what chance was amazing. <laughs> That's such a good move. She's so good at getting the crowd riled She's up. She's so hateable. And yeah. and, it, it, and to and instead of just another normal to the camera one, to have Gulak, to have the crowd involved, this is really, really smart. Again, don't care about the Ronda stuff at all, but this is a great segment, and it highlights why Charlotte is is so good. I would 100%, if I was WWE, run a storyline of Gulak being the one to help train Rousey as a wrestler. Yeah. Make him her manager trainer and allow him to speak for her. Put them together. It gives Gulak something to do. It gives Rousey a, 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 a speaker where she doesn't have to do her bullshit. She can occasionally throw in a line or two to, to punctuate if she if she needs to. But clearly, eventually, she's going to be winning the SmackDown Women's Championship. And her carrying it and doing the mic work is not going to work. They nope. should 100% put Gulak with Rousey. I would be all for it. I don't think it's going to happen. I think this was just a one-off. But Gulak on Friday night did a great job in the interviewer role, both as an interviewer and in this segment with Charlotte. It was great. And it's always good when WWE has an interviewer, a journalist role, who can get beat up. Don't forget, it used to happen to Coachman. It used to happen less, but occasionally to Michael Cole and JR. uh, And Byron Saxon used to get it occasionally. But this Gulak is so damn good in this role. Have him do this. Have him work with Rousey. Have him do something. Get him on my television. Uh, Kevin Owens on Raw hosted a lie detector test to prove Ezekiel is Elias. WWE made a great move using Chad Gable as the guy to administer the test because of his intelligence. Again, continuity, really smart. Ezekiel said, who wants to speak with Zeke along the lines of who wants to walk with Elias? The crowd popped for that. Without going into every detail, it was funny. Uh, Ezekiel told the truth that Ezekiel is his name and Elias is his older brother. Chad also slipped in a question about Gable Steveson. So it seems apparent that that is going to be a feud whenever he really debuts. KO was angry. Zeke said he's the biggest liar in WWE. Then Gable attacked from behind. I actually thought this was going to be incredible, and it did fall short of that. But it was definitely funny, and it was good. I, I thought it was one of the funniest things they've done in, in, in quite a while. I, Gable with the cardigan, with the glasses. His interactions with Kevin Owens are great. Again, when you're kind of crossing streams here with different stories, different characters interacting, where it feels like a real you know, working place, that's great. They... they, they Zeke, Ezekiel was funny. Kevin Owens, again, like what I said with with, with, with Edge and them, 
it, it just say the thing instead of trying to be all whimsical about it. Kevin Owens is so great because he just says the thing from the very beginning with this Ezekiel stuff. He just said, no, you're Elias. We can see it. And he's just saying it over and over and over. And it, in every, you can react to that. You can, you can, you can feel what he's saying. It's fun to push back and say, no, that's not him. That, that's Ezekiel. And so this is, this is really, really funny. Look, I don't know what the long-term Ezekiel situation is. Honestly, I kind of didn't like that Ezekiel got serious by the end of this and started to threaten Kevin Owens and stuff. I kind of wanted them to keep playing this oblivious part out for a bit longer. Um, but, you know, we, we, we'll see. This was funny. Again, I don't know what the long-term workability is, but I, I'm really liking this. I know Kevin Owens isn't really doing anything coming out of the the major Stone Cold Steve Austin stuff. There's another WrestleMania main eventer who's not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. but He's so good in every situation, Kevin Owens is. And, and, and this is really elevating Ezekiel, the segment, stuff like that. It, it's one of the best things on Raw right now. And then real quick, we also had Ezekiel versus Gable. Zeke got a boot up to stop Gable's moonsault. He tried to tap Gable out with a single leg crab and a knee on his neck, but Otis forced the disqualification. I didn't want to see Gable lose, but at the same time, he hardly needed to be protected here. It made no sense for Ezekiel to have a match and not get a win. I thought it absolutely sucked so for the match i'm actually giving it an ugly yeah yeah the 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 match was okay the finish was really really bad i'm gonna give it a bad it's kind of weird when he'll celebrate a disqualification loss but whatever so also on raw we had the united states championship finn balor against theory the crowd was dead silent for most of this match and it starting very slow did not help Theory hit a neckbreaker off the ring apron and a spinning sidewalk slam. That allowed Balor to sell a neck injury for the entire match. Theory snapped his neck over the top rope, but Balor caught him rolling with a sit-down powerbomb for a near fall. Balor finally got the crowd up just a little bit with the sling blade and a shotgun dropkick. Theory took him off the top rope with the seated springboard Spanish fly for a near fall. Balor countered A-Town down with a sling blade, hit a huge tope cone hero as he continued selling the neck. Theory dodged a coup de gras and hit Balor with A-Town down to win the United States Championship in 12 minutes. After that, a bunch of mid-card heels came out to celebrate him, celebrate with him for no reason. And then Vince McMahon came out and took a selfie. This whole thing was depressing, okay? Seeing Balor lose the title to Theory, neither of them getting any reaction from the crowd when we know Finn is super over basically everywhere. The incredibly stupid post-match celebration with fucking Commander Aziz and T-Bar <laughs> holding Theory on their shoulders. Vince getting the biggest pop of the entire segment. The absolutely horrendous title run that Balor got after the crowd went wild when he beat Priest for the championship initially. My hope that Balor would ever get a second major push on the main roster, completely dying with a thud in Buffalo, New York. The match was not poorly wrestled. And a future star in Theory getting put over, that was a good move on its own in a vacuum. That's the catch-22 here. Theory winning was probably the right move, but it came at the expense of a guy who should not be thrown away like this. Balor was given the neck injury as a little bit of an excuse, but man, this whole thing was just bad from top to bottom. Bad. They, they, there was no story to any of this. I, I mean, ever since Finn Balor won the U.S. title, he just kept losing all the time. So like people weren't behind him coming into this. The story was that theory had beaten Balor so many times that he might as well get a title shot, I guess. And the crowd reacted as such. I think everybody saw it. And look, 
Finn Balor's future, look, he's 40. Austin Theory's 24. That's that's what it is. I, I, I think a big part of what it is is that Balor's just now to be a foil, to be across from somebody else. And he shouldn't be. He's incredible. He, he, he is he, he's amazing. He maybe should have beaten Roman Reigns. And that as the demon that should have, yes. But <laughs> this, this is this is what Finn Balor is now. I the mid card heels coming out to celebrate with Theory. I thought it was really funny, and the crowd booed. And I, I think it was supposed to kind of be weird and funny because you never see that. You never see the heels come out <laughs> to celebrate somebody, and I think everybody recognized that they were heels. So. It also highlighted just how freaking thin the roster is now compared to what it used to be. I think that the Battle Royal ahead of WrestleMania did the same thing. There is not a lot of depth on this roster. So Theory wins. It makes sense. It was not an eventful way to get there. They didn't even do Theory trying to come back from the Austin thing You know, much. It was just kind of like, all right, we're just we're moving forward with him. I'm giving it a bad. I'm optimistic about Theory's title run potentially, but this is really blah. I said a moment ago that this was the end of me ever having hope for Balor receiving like a legitimate push on the main roster again. And I, I truly believe that at this point, like mm-hmm. his return to SmackDown coming off that super hot NXT run was awesome right away in a feud with John Cena and Roman Reigns. Two banger title matches with Reigns. But once that idiotic top rope break ended the demon match and then he got drafted over to Raw, It has been completely downhill since then. Don't forget how insanely hot Balor was when he returned. And even when he beat Priest for the US title before Mania, he was super over. And it seemed like they were going to continue that story and give us a title match maybe on night one of the show. But once they decided to put Priest with Edge, they just dropped the entire thing. Balor, I don't know that he ever won a match as United States champion. Maybe he, I beat, don't know. Maybe he beat priest one more time, or maybe he beat theory one time. And he's like one to two against theory, something like that. But they just don't care about this guy. And it's true insanity to me to not take someone who is super over a guy who you thought should be the first universal champion and not use him to the fullest extent of his ability. I just do not understand. Yeah, no, it, it's he, he, it meant nothing. Like there was clearly no direction, no plans with him at all. But by, by the way, the fact that again we have a unified world champion, this is supposed to be the biggest belt on Raw, and it's nothing. Maybe they'll get it back up somewhere with Theory, but but again, unifying the belts on top of really degrading your mid card belts over the past year, not a good situation. Imagine if they had brought Cody back. They finished. They let Balor keep the title. They, they have Theory do something else. And they build into a Cody Rhodes-Finn Balor feud. Cody's like, this is the first step on my way to the WWE Championship. He wins the US title. He has a really nice long run. He eventually drops it to Kevin Owens or Edge or Damian Priest. Put someone else over. And then Cody gets elevated into the WWE Championship picture. Like, that's how you do this. You don't just mm-hmm. book your champion in Finn Balor as dog shit. And then have him just drop the title to Theory because you want to push Theory. And now Balor has nothing to do. Like, what is Balor going to do now? I, unless he, like, teams with AJ Styles against Edge and Damian Priest, I literally have no idea what this guy is going to do. But I digress. Let's keep moving on. Intercontinental Championship on SmackDown. Ricochet against Jinder Mahal. Rick said Mahal is big and imposing but can't match him in the ring. He said his new nickname is Flawless. 
not because he's perfect, but because he makes things look perfect. Ricochet hit a springboard frog-style crossbody and a standing moonsault for a near fall. Jinder botched a countered Colossus. Ricochet followed with recoil, but Shanky saved Mahal, so Rick splashed them both outside. Fans started chanting for him. I smiled. Then he won with a shooting star press in three minutes. Commentary promoted Jinder as a former WWE champion to make the win seem impressive. You know what would have been impressive? Letting this guy wrestle seven to 10 minutes instead of three minutes. But there was really heavy promotion of Ricochet here, including Michael Cole fawning all over him after the bell. I don't want to get my hopes up or jinx him, especially, <laughs> especially after what I just said about Finn Balor. But it sure as hell seems like they're actually pushing Ricochet for real this time, for just the second time ever in his career. I really dislike this match being so short. It doesn't make sense for any title match to be three minutes. But based on the push for Ricochet and the result, I am actually going to lean good here. Yeah, the the, the booking, the, the the overall segment was a good. The match was whatever. And and look, if they're going to tell you the Intercontinental Champion is a big deal, that's a good thing. I'm skeptical that they'll continue that for much longer, especially with Ricochet. I, I'll, I'll have to see it to believe it before I believe that they uh, are actually serious about making Ricochet feel like a big deal. But this was another step in the right direction. Look, we, we criticized it a couple weeks back when he lost those two matches to Los Lotharios. But ever since then, they've really gone out of the way mm-hmm. to make him feel like he's important. Yep. Is it going to work? Is it going to continue? I don't know. But to this point, it's it's been good. And the fans are buying in, which is the most important out of all of it. Uh, Drew McIntyre fought Sami Zayn on SmackDown. Sami said running away last week wasn't cowardice. He was just a master strategist. Pat McAfee held Zayn so McIntyre could take a shot on him. Zayn threw some shots, but McIntyre had a Glasgow kiss that popped the crowd big. Sami ducked out of a Claymore, then avoided a running Claymore and took a count out into the crowd. After the bell, McIntyre chased him and they announced a lumberjack match for next week. Again, literally anyone else and I would shit on this entire thing. I don't love it, but it's also unfair to call it bad when fans are popping for it and Sami Zayn is making it work. So this remains until next week, we get a lumberjack, remains a provisional good. It's it, it, it's a it's a good for effort, but bad just kind of in theory and on paper. It's this is what are we, like, what are we doing? We have Drew McIntyre and Sami Zayn and the story is that Sami Zayn just keeps running away. Yeah, look, look it's, it sets up the Lumberjack match. It's fine. But like, this is Drew freaking McIntyre. After months of Corbin and Madcap Moss shit, now he's dealing with Sami Zayn and running away from him. How can you not make this guy look like the biggest badass in the world? Because he is. Because if he just... And he keep, was when... It, it, w, WWE put themselves in such a bad spot because there's no other challengers for Reigns. So if he just keeps exactly. beating people week to week then he's there's ready for Reigns and he has nothing else he can do. That's the problem. There's no, there's nothing for these people to do sucks. because you have one champion who's not even there and the mid-card titles don't mean anything. And, and them, the like, champion's a face in Ricochet and you don't want them fighting each yes, other. Yes, so, I mean, yeah. look, have 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 McIntyre win the Intercontinental title and feel like a big deal. Like, the Ricochet stuff is fine, but it's like, it's it, the Intercontinental belt needs to feel like the second biggest thing on SmackDown or the third if you got the, the tag belts. And it, it doesn't like it's you, you got a lot of you just talked about what is Finn Balor going to do? I don't know what, it, what this is. This is what Drew McIntyre is doing. They can't figure out what to do with half these people. And so they give them these weird things that like, hey, like on a one off on a on a on a single show, like, oh, it was funny, you know, whatever. But like over time, 
you're not helping these characters at all. And it's frustrating. Seamus said backstage that Butch needs to harness his aggression, and they agreed the enemy is not them, but the New Day. Then Butch walked away, and they acted like they lost him, like he's a child or something. Butch was later shown hitting a seated scent on, on Xavier Woods as he was signing autographs at a makeshift table backstage. There was a little mini riot with agents and officials separating them. This was hard to judge. It just felt so forced with Butch that I'm leaning bad. There's potential. I don't mind like the rabid character. By the way, Pat McAfee called him a rabid Wolverine on TV, which, yeah, that doesn't yeah. work. Um, so no. I don't I don't necessarily mind it, like what they're doing, but the name sucks. And th- the fact that they're treating him like he's a child who needs to be on a leash, it's just bad. Again, it's like, it's fine for what it was. I didn't hate it. Like the, 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 the image of him jumping over the table was pretty funny, but like, you're not making any of these people feel like they're a big deal. Like they all feel like they're a, like jokey. And I just, I don't think that's, I don't think that's building a foundation for characters at all. It's just kind of like doing goofy stuff week to week. So it's, it was fine. Like I'll give it a good, but it's like, it's, it's not, it's not helping. MVP cut a promo backstage on Raw about moving on to a bigger, stronger, more superior athlete in Omas. Bigger? Yes. Stronger? More superior athlete? Hardly. MVP issued an arm wrestling challenge as if we have not seen that before with Lashley. So basically, Lashley accepted saying he'll show why he's called the Almighty. This was whatever. It seems like every time they do the arm wrestling match, not only does it do well on TV, it does insane numbers on YouTube. They did one in 2019 with Braun Strowman, 2020 with Apollo Crews, I think it was. So this is the third time in, I guess, four years that they're doing it. It's repetitive, yes. It was good. There's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. It's something. I don't know how how much else we can really expect out of this feud, so it's fine. Another, like, low, low, low good. Uh, Ludwig Kaiser stood behind Gunta, putting him over as a video package played of all of Walter's recent domination. Gunta said everyone would fall to the ring general. There was nothing wrong with this. Again, I'm going to say bad simply because it was such a weak follow-up to his debut. He absolutely should have been given another match to squash someone, considering he just made his debut one week ago. This is how someone quickly gets forgotten. You do this thing before the person makes their debut, not one week after they make their debut. Gunta needs to be in front of a crowd. Also, they need to decide how the hell we're going to pronounce his name. Is it Gunther? (laughs) Is it Gunther? Or is it Gunta? Pick one, whatever it is, I'll go with it, but you got to pick it. Yeah, it was easier to say Walter and Walter. It, it was it was a lot uh, closer. Um, I, I Right, they did this backwards. Like you you do you do the vignettes and stuff and talking about how dominant it is before you see him. This is my problem when we first saw him was that we didn't, we didn't get that. So like, I, again, I'm giving this like a low, low, low good because they did give us some back stuff. But like at the same time, and we'll get into it with Veer, I don't think squash matches against nobody's does anything. Nobody cares. It does not help at all. This is not 1985 anymore. So we'll see what happens. So we had Veer Mahan versus Jeff Brooks on Raw. This was a Buffalo-based jobber who Veer destroyed with the million-dollar arm and the cervical clutch for the win. Also, they piped in booze for Veer this time. Yep. I'm yep. so mixed on what they've done with this guy. On one hand, I like the million-dollar arm move name, but I hate that they're just putting it out there and not connecting it and telling us why it's called the million dollar arm. Okay. Uh, yeah. On the one hand, I like that he's dominating people, but it feels weird to go from kicking the Mysterio's asses to sending a jobber to the hospital. It should go yep. the other way. I don't mind the presentation, 
But the fact that he constantly roars like a lion while he's wrestling is absurd. I just feel like they missed the boat. They had the chance to swerve us and put this really good looking dude, which again, million dollar arm, he has that name, in a suit, make him look awesome. Just like Gunta, I'm going to say bad because this felt backwards to me. Yep. Same thing. It, it, it's like, what, what is the ceiling on this? There's nothing here. Like, like I, there's, you could tell so many stories with this guy and they're just, they're not. It's like, a very oh, low ceiling. You, you're, you're doing the exact same thing with, with Gunther. You're doing two of the exact same. You just beat up somebody and you're fearsome because you're big. That doesn't work. Nobody cares about that anymore. You had to pipe in booze for fear. Like I just, none of these people have stories it, 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 or, or characters and that's what WWE is supposed to be instead of AEW. Like AEW, like like it or don't like it for certain things, they make everybody feel like they should matter. It's uh, the the floor feels higher even if the ceiling is low. Well, a lot of AEW and, also is just here's one really good wrestler against another really good wrestler, and yeah. and if that's if you're putting on a wrestling show, that's okay. That's we. But, and that's what you can, but I'm saying that's what you can do at the bottom of the card with these types of people, except for you don't have the roster to really do it anymore. So I don't know what you do with this because it's just the Veer stuff. It ain't working like this isn't going anywhere. Like we, we can all see that. Right. So it's just like whatever. Nothing they're doing with Veer right now is going to have any long term success with no. with Gunther and Ludwig Kaiser. Yeah, it's possible. Right. That, that could definitely work. But with Veer, it's a zero sum game. There's there's no there's no benefit. There's no. See, the ceiling is low. The ceiling is the basement, you know, to, to go the opposite of Michael Jordan. Yeah. This is it. Like dominating people randomly like this is all he's going to do in this character unless they develop a character, unless they do something else with him. Staying with Raw, we had a double commitment ceremony. Sasha Banks, Naomi, Nikki Ash, and Los Lotharios were among those in the wedding party. Sasha and Naomi were there for Tamina, which was actually a decent callback to Team Bad. I talked about continuity. Yes. Another example of it on Raw. R-Truth officiated. The crowd hijacked the entire segment with what chance and R-Truth basically begged them to stop. He asked for objections and Tamina objected by trading Tozawa for Reggie, then standing next to Dana herself, then switching back and standing next to Tozawa. R-Truth tried to end it, forgetting about the rings. Then the couples <laughs> kissed with Reggie taking Dana Brooke to the mat for a one, two, three to win the title. Then Tamina super kicked and pinned him. Then Tozawa eventually found his way under Tamina's dress for a roll up. And then Dana splashed Sazawa for the one, two, three to get the title back. Before I give away my grade, let me be clear. I love campy shit. I love wrestling weddings. I love when comedy segments make me laugh. A great example being the lie detector, okay? I absolutely loved it. But this was bad. This was horrendous. And no, it was not so bad, it was good. It was terribly executed and not at all funny. I know many may disagree. I feel like you're going to. But to me, this was ugly in every possible way. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Look, I, I disagreed with you with this on Twitter, and I got a lot of responses of people saying that they ag agreed with me in that I disagreed with you. Look, I'm not going to say it was amazing. It was not as good as the lie detector test. But it was it was funny. And, and it, the mistakes... Forgetting the rings, I think that made it more funny because it was kind of a trainer. Look, this is the 24-7 championship, the absolute bottom of the totem pole on Raw. The reason the crowd hijacked it from the beginning is because they know that none of these people matter because they've been told for a year that none of these 
people matter. Nobody expected a 15-minute segment out of them because they typically get 30 seconds at a time. And when they flipped it, when you got Dana and Tamina together, the crowd went wild for that. Yeah, because it was possibly HLA. That's why. Right. No, but... I not in today's. This is not 1999. I, Which I, is I why I didn't pop so. for it because <laughs> I I knew we weren't going to get anything I, out of it. I, I I'm not. I don't think WWE's making this direct a, a, a comparison. But at a time when 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 the rights of gay people are under attack in certain places, it was interesting. And then they flip it back, and the crowd booed. And look, it was honestly my biggest problem with it was that Dana got the title at the end. This is my biggest problem with all these 24 seven deals. Is you do these intricate things. And then in the end, you have the same champion. If you had done this whole wedding for Reggie to roll her up and win the title, that would have been more memorable than just Dana comes out on top of the end anyway, because then that whole thing didn't matter because nothing changed. So I, I think that's honestly my Not only that, that, Reggie carried her out on his shoulders. So he, after he pinned yes. her for the title, he is still with her. And, and now they're now they're both married. Like, dude, this is so it was bad. weird. It, 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 well, did they say married? They kept saying commitment, sir. They put rings on and, that, and then they kissed. I mean, they come did, on. but they even on even on, I popped up on Instagram. They said the commit the commitment ceremony. So I don't know why they didn't say marry or what. I don't know. But I guess to but, get out of it, marriage you have to get a divorce. Look, but, you know. On a on a really shitty wrong, which we both agreed with. To me, this was actually a bright spot because oh. I laughed a bit. I, no. I, I I smiled a bit. I thought it was funny. And I'm going to give him credit for that. I, and we don't need to we don't need to go longer onto this whole thing. But you called it the worst segment of the year, I think, possibly. Non-match. I just, worst, very, worst segment that was not a match of the year, yes. I, and, and I very much, I just, I just very much disagree with that. I put this over almost all of the previous 24-7 so segments. So no, I, said, I said last week when we were talking about this, I like it every other week. And I liked it last week. Which, But I thought because this was going to be the finality of the entire thing, the finale, I should say, um... I was like, oh, so since I liked it last week, clearly they're going to come through and do it. No, every other week. I hate it. Then I like it. Then I hate it. Then I like it. But overall, you're right. It's a 24-7 title picture. It's meaningless. It sucks. We're spending too much time on it. Let's move on. I got two more things to talk about before we get out of here. Lacey Evans continued her story about overcoming adversity. She got choked up again and said she's unlike the other women in WWE because she's comfortable at rock bottom. The only part that got a pop was Evans saying she was a Marine. Shayna Baszler and Natalia were shaking their head at the vignette backstage, upset at the way things were going with new women coming into WWE. Then they basically insulted Rachel Rodriguez, Rachel, Raquel Rodriguez to her face. And she just smiled and shook Natalia's hand. The Lacey yeah. stuff is not hitting for me. It's overly scripted in an attempt to pull heartstrings and it's not working. I cannot think also of a worse way to introduce Raquel than two bland backstage segments with low card people where we learn absolutely nothing about her. And she looks like a joke getting insulted to her face by Natalia. Raquel is a top prospect just below mm -hmm. Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley, but she's being treated like she's Aaliyah. By the way, where the hell are Aaliyah, Shotzi, and Zia Lee? This whole thing was ugly. The Raquel stuff is ugly. You're 100% right. I don't understand what we're supposed to think of Raquel with the way she's being presented. I very much disagree on the Lacey Evans stuff, and I wasn't around last week to talk about it either. I actually think these two promos the last two weeks are two of, I think, the most effective promos oh. of the year because she, she 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 says, um, she she's not talking like that typical WWE. For all the talk about you you're saying it's being scripted, 
she's not talking like the way WWE often scripts these things. She, she's she's stopping herself. She's saying, um, she sounds nervous. To me, it's as refreshing as I've heard on WWE promos Ugh. because of that. My problem with it is that they are playing the crowd noise over her talking, and it sounds like no one's paying attention to her because you're just hearing people mumbling while she's spilling her heart out, giving her life story. And I just, I, I don't understand that decision at all. It's completely taking me out of it. But the, the, the concept of explaining her life story, which she overcame a shit ton of adversity and heartbreak to get through, really is inspiring. And I think they're telling it in an effective way just through the, these two weeks. I'm just I'm very confused at playing the crowd noise over because it just has people mumbling because it's a it's a video segment. It's not a in the ring promo segment. Her story. So they're not paying attention to it. But I, I think this is, I think this type of promo, something WWE has typically not done, has, I think it's been very effective to me. Her story is a legitimately good story. Telling it by having her stand looking straight into the camera, reading off cue cards, is not an effective way to tell it. Do you build a video package vignette where she's narrating it, where occasionally you flash to her as she's sitting playing with her child or with her husband or in her home or in her backyard playing with her dogs or whatever the case might be. Show her as a mom, as a, as a family woman. Um, you know, show video clips of her if they're available of when she was in the Marines or when she was a police officer. Having her stand in wrestling gear, talking directly into the camera with a plain background while you have the crowd noise, like you said, behind her, it is a horrible presentation. I like the concept, but the execution is horrendous. So no, I can't buy into it with you. The gimmick is probably going to get over. I'm sure she'll get cheered when she redebuts, but this is not w this is not up to WWE standards of introducing talent and doing vignettes. In fact, I think it's as lazy as they could possibly be. And same with Raquel Rodriguez separately, where you bring someone over well, that, to yeah. TV, just like Tommaso Ciampa over on Raw. We didn't even see him this week, by the way. And it's like, oh, they're here now. Not in the ring not telling anything about themselves, not being interviewed, not doing a vignette. They're just, they show up and do absolutely nothing. This is how people die before they get an opportunity. So the Raquel stuff is ugly. The Lacey Evans stuff is bad. It can be done so much better than the way they're doing it. I, to me, it's the, 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 the Lacey Evans stuff, it just, it feels a little, it just feels different. It's similar to the live promo before her Becky Lynch match, uh, which I think was a, just a vignette, but telling the life story. That's so, I like, I just, I re, it's really refreshing to hear one of those considering the bad stories that WWE often tells around characters. So look, it, it, it's not perfect. They can fix it. it. To me, it's a different type of presentation where I'm paying attention because it's not a typical vignette. It's not her in the ring. It's just, it, it's a different way than WWE typically does it. And to me, at least, it's it's grabbing my attention. And to that, I I, I give her credit. So we'll see where it goes. We just, we disagree on that. But I just I wasn't there last week to talk about it, so I just wanted to give my thoughts on it. But before we get out of here, um, did you happen to see anything about LA Knight showing up on the dark match before SmackDown? I did not. Okay, so I'm gonna break down for you what happened and give me your thoughts. Only hearing about it, but not seeing it. Although WWE actually posted it, so you can go to their YouTube page and you can actually watch this. But LA Knight uh, appeared before SmackDown during a dark match as the new head of Knight Modeling Management. And he introduced his first model, Mace, who is the former Dio Madden, who's now named Face. So Face was dressed to the nines in a suit, all dressed up. LA Knight cut a big promo before he came out. 
Uh, both were wearing sunglasses. And I don't know if this is something that WWE is actively going to do. It may just be something that they're trying out. But there's two quick things I'm going to say here. Number one, the name LA Knight is one million times better as the name of like a Hollywood agent, model, manager type of person than it is as just a random wrestler. Okay, I hate, <laughs> I've hate i hated the name forever. But if this is the character, then the name actually makes all the sense in the world. And number two, the idea of Knight initially coming up to the main roster in some type of like Ari Gold style role before transitioning to being a wrestler, it really pops me. I, when I initially heard of this idea, I was like, oh man, I really, I don't know that this is going to be something that works. But when I actually saw it, I was extremely bullish on the entire thing. So you haven't watched it yet. Maybe we'll get your take on our NXT show Thursday, our NXT and AEW show on Thursday. But Chris, when I initially explain it to you, what are your thoughts? It's kind of weird because look, I- I've been an LA Knight guy from the beginning. If you didn't listen to the NXT stuff, I really liked him. Silver King did not. Came around on him once he turned face Correct. after war games and stuff like that. Um, I think the guy's got a lot of potential. I think he's a really, really good promo. And he was really getting the crowd hot in NXT 2.0 as a face. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I think I trust him to make something out of it. But it's also the kind of gimmick where the ceiling feels very low. So I think it's I one know. of those kickoff gimmicks. Like it gets you to the main roster and then you, yeah. you get over so much that they break you away from it. Yeah. By the way, just looking at the WWE YouTube page, I was looking for the segment. I couldn't find it, but nothing on SmackDown or Raw has very many views at all. Like barely a couple things over 500K. Flair and Gulak isn't uh Yeah, that's the highest one. 591K from SmackDown. Nothing else is even really close. Well, guess what? No Tribal Chief, no main event storyline, no Brock Lesnar, no excitement. Nope. And it's, du- nope. it's WWE's fault because they put all the eggs in that basket. Mm-hmm. And that's where we to, to put you put them all in that basket and then took the basket away from us and then take the basket away right and now you just, now, yes. now you just have a field and you, you got to find eggs yourself and I don't want to find eggs myself I want them given to me I want them delivered that's the problem yep all right that is it for this week in the world of WWE thanks again for do vintage Chris Vanini for joining me a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at getting overcast do not forget that we will be back on Thursday to talk all things AEW. And NXT. NXT running pretty hot right now. Uh, 2.0. It's been pretty damn good over the last couple of weeks. AEW, title matches after title matches. We have a huge rampage. A huge Battle of the Belts special show. I said huge. A big Battle of the Belts special show. And a pretty solid lineup for Dynamite coming up. Chris was there for the rampage and the Battle of the Belts. So he will give you a first-hand look. Man, there's a lot of wrestling in Texas. Not a lot of wrestling in South Florida. You get to go to a lot of shit. I basically get to go to nothing. It's completely unfair at this point. Uh, But Chris will be with us on the Thursday show to talk AEW and NXT. Uh, Like I said, I appreciate all of you listening to today's show. A reminder before we get out of here, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is always... So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show. We've gotten a bunch of five-star ratings and reviews recently. I really appreciate that. A couple others that we're going to go ahead and read on Thursday's show. So do not forget, again, to uh, leave those reviews. They're really, really important to us. And as I already said, but I'm going to repeat it one more time, do not forget to follow us on Twitter 
at Getting Overcast. We will see you on Thursday. Episode number 300 is coming soon, and I am trying to make that a special episode, so look out for that as well. But at this point, Silver King Vintage, we are going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.